<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin. We begin with your obligatory China building a high-speed railroad for another country story. A China-backed plan to build a high-speed railroad between the Russian cities of Moscow and Kazan is set to get Russia's approval by the end of the year. Moscow is satisfied with the design created by China Railway Group, the state-controlled firm specializing in railroad survey and design, Caixin has learned. The 480-mile high-speed rail line may eventually become part of a much bigger railway linking the Russian capital with Beijing. The project would, of course, come under China's Belt and Road Initiative, aimed at strengthening China's relations with countries in Asia, Africa, and Europe, primarily through infrastructure investment and construction. The project marks the latest move by China to export its state-of-the-art rail technology. In addition to the design, construction of the bullet trains will be handled by Chinese companies. In tech. U.S. high-tech chipmaker Lattice Semiconductor said it has terminated its plan to be purchased by a China-backed buyer after U.S. President Donald Trump ordered the two sides to scrap the deal over national security concerns. The decision extends a string of similar moves by Trump's predecessor, Barack Obama, and could signal that the U.S. may get more aggressive in its bid to stop the movement of advanced chipmaking technology to China, which has earmarked billions of dollars to build up the sector, analysts said. A unit of conglomerate Citic Group and a major Chinese agricultural firm will purchase British fowl specialists Cherry Valley Farms, marking a homecoming of sorts for a European company whose specialty is its brand of Peking ducks. The purchase comes just a month after Citic teamed up with private equity giant Carlyle to buy McDonald's China-based stores. The duck deal marks the first major cross-border acquisition of a breeding operation by a Chinese buyer. No value was given, but a source told Caixin the deal was worth about $230 million, hardly a paltry sum of money. Founded in 1958, Cherry Farms calls itself the world's leading supplier of its variety of Peking duck, a breed that was brought from China to Europe and the U.S. in the 1800s. More foul news. A popular Chinese fast food chain has recently landed in the U.S., 
Shandong-style chicken braised with a special spicy sauce and served in a sizzling clay pot with rice, which aims to impress American diners. Yang's Braised Chicken Rice, a popular fast food chain in China, made its debut in Tustin, California last week. As more Chinese people move abroad and as the restaurant business grows more streamlined and thus easier to export, some fast food chains in China have found a new source of customers in the Western world. The restaurant serves just the one dish, available at three levels of spiciness, regular, authentic, and spicy. The price is $9.99 U.S. The 40-seat eatery, located near the Chinese community in the city of Irvine, has attracted more foodies than it expected. Some diners said they waited half an hour or more to get the dish. The brand's founder, Yang Xiaolu, hopes the food will appeal to customers beyond those who are ethnically Chinese. The company plans to open more restaurants in the U.S. and gradually develop franchises as well. But for now, some customers are complaining about the restaurant's lack of experience and capacity. On Yelp, user Maruko X said the dining experience was, quote, completely a disaster, close quote, as she was told to wait for 30 minutes for an order that still hadn't arrived two hours later. It was unclear at press time whether Maruko X is still waiting on her chicken. And finally, the numbers. Disappointing China data released last week. Investment, industrial output, and retail sales point to a second-half slowdown. During the first eight months of this year, investment in fixed assets in urban areas such as factories and highways grew at the slowest pace in almost 18 years. Meanwhile, industrial output registered the weakest growth of this year. Retail sales rose at their smallest pace in six months. The Chinese government's ongoing campaign to cut excess industrial capacity and slim down the credit-fueled economy is limiting the near-term growth of the world's second-largest economy. Some estimate an economic growth rate as low as 6% in 2018, which could be the country's slowest expansion in nearly three decades. Let's turn now to Caixin Global's senior editor, Doug Young, as we do most weeks, to chat about some of the big business stories in the week's news. Doug, thanks for joining us again. I understand you've got two stories to talk about, so let's hear about the first of these. Hi, Kaiser. Uh the first story is is a pretty fun story. Uh, the company JD.com, everybody knows they're the big e-commerce company. Uh, but there's some reports in the Chinese media saying that, that they're one of their divisions called uh, JD Daojia, which is sort of involved in delivery type business, is looking into this whole concept of setting up sort of kiosk areas within companies where they would have a lot of these high-tech vending machines. And it sounds like it's going to take the concept beyond, you know, just sticking a coffee machine in an office and put like uh, machines that can make breakfast and maybe can make sandwiches. And, you know, you'll, I'm sure you'll have the coffee and drinks in there, but sort of letting offices give JD, you know, a significant, fairly significant slice of land in, inside their office and let JD come in and sort of fully equip it with this, uh, you know, what I imagine will probably be pretty high-tech vending machines that can hopefully make relatively decent quality food. It's interesting, you know, it's sort of trying to bring high-tech to sort of more traditional retailing and and certainly vending machines. And it's also interesting just because JD is not known for this kind of thing. JD is, uh, you know, very much an online e-commerce company. And the kinds of stuff we're talking about are really... You know, traditional retail, certainly they're not retail stores, but they're, you know, real world 
products and and real world machines delivering those products. So it, it strikes me that there are really two things involved here. One of them is this trend we've talked about on this podcast and that you've reported on quite a bit in your in in, in Saishin. Uh So JD aside, this is a trend of automated stores, of high tech automated stores, and the other is this trend of online players moving more generally into the offline space. Well, I think the two trends that you just mentioned are very much intertwined. You talked about online companies going into offline, and Alibaba has has stated on numerous occasions that's something they want to do and something they're pushing. But at the same time, I think these companies realize just traditional brick-and-mortar retailing isn't going to do it. That's a, a sort of a concept that's sort of fading past its prime. Uh, and these companies, JD, well, first Alibaba, we should give them credit for going first. But now JD are saying, what can we bring to the table to sort of update traditional retailing? Cause, because traditional retailing is, is really serves a very specific audience, uh, which is people who want something now. Uh, they don't want to wait, you know, whatever, two, three hours. And, and the most obvious or two, three hours is, is actually very fast. You know, don't want to wait two or three days to get their product. Uh, the most obvious place where this is happening is, is for food. You know, if you're thirsty, you want that drink now. You don't want to wait for someone to deliver it in a few hours at the fastest by e-commerce. So, uh, the, so this place sort of fits nicely into the topic that JD is looking at, you know, sort of food concession areas and offices. And Alibaba is sort of doing the same thing with convenience stores where they have a lot of food. JD also announced earlier this year uh, an initiative to try and update sort of mom and pop shops. They would sort of go in and collaborate with existing sort of mom and pop convenience stores and, and try and update them. Alibaba said something similar. And I think in, in, in all of these cases, they're trying to bring some of their high tech capabilities to these very traditional and, and probably dying retail stores. And, and, you know, one of the biggest capabilities they can bring is their big data. You know, they can give these companies modern management systems that show them how to better manage their merchandise so that they've got the hottest selling items always available, maybe stop selling some of the lesser fast moving items. Uh, and then you also see like with these vending machines, I think there's a, a very high tech element to those. They're probably trying to take vending machines to a new level, which is what you see with another concept that Alibaba was trying to do, which are these uh, unmanned convenience stores. You know, let machines do most of the work. Well, a quick aside, I hear from your colleagues there at the Saishin office in Beijing that you have some pretty high tech coffee gadgetry yourself and that uh, you have quite a reputation as the coffee connoisseur. Yes, you're you're correct. Uh, Taishin has a, a very high tech coffee machine that was just installed probably the last six seven months. A any good? Yeah. Well, like you said, I'm a regular regular buyer. Although it also helps that a cup of what I consider to be you know quite good coffee is only five kwai, uh, which is the U.S. equivalent of about what eighty ninety cents uh, versus two or three times that amount for a, a, a comparable Starbucks coffee. You can't argue with that. But, you know, obviously, if it was bad coffee, I wouldn't buy it. But it's, it's, it's not bad. And I think that comes back to the point of what JD is doing here. I think they're trying to take these vending machines to a new level and automation, you know, automated services and stuff to a new level. So 
Uh, for example, maybe in the past you would have had these pre-made sandwiches that, that would have been all soggy and had to be restocked every day. Maybe some of these new machines will actually be able to make a sandwich. Uh, in other words, you, you load them with the bread and the, the meats and the vegetables. And then they, when somebody pushes the go button, you know, they pay for it with their little QR code and then, Bang! The, the the machine actually assembles the sandwich, so it's a freshly made sandwich, and and the ingredients are put in every day. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that I think these vending machines are probably going to be looking to make. You know, sort of a, a new generation of of food and and drinks that you know are a cut above the previous generation of vending machine fare. Well, the second story, Doug, uh, lay out the bigger picture here first. Uh, yet another crackdown on online conversations. Um, we, what's going on here? I mean, we've heard this before, right? Okay, this one, you're right. It's it's like another day, another crackdown in China these days. Uh, but this one came in a posting or a, a couple posts on the uh, Wang Xingban, which is the Cybersecurity or Cyberspace Administration of China. Um, and they're sort of the big sort of oversight for internet issues. And, and anyhow, they, they came out with relatively short but obviously significant uh new i wouldn't even call it a policy because it's 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 talks in very general terms but the target of this is is chat groups and we have to differentiate here cuz uh there you had sort of like old style chat rooms you know that were usually hosted by uh, a website you know where people could post comments and stuff but this is actually looking to more address a newer generation of, of these groups that have really exploded with, uh, especially with WeChat. Uh, anybody who uses WeChat knows that like most people in China are now on it and it's very easy to assemble these sort of ad hoc groups, uh, sometimes for long-term purposes, uh, sometimes for just a day, you know, just to talk about where we're going to have dinner. Um, so anyhow, there's been this explosion of these groups and, and I think, the cyberspace uh, authority was getting worried that maybe some illegal activities were happening in these groups and some sensitive activities, you know, tight discussion of maybe politically sensitive subjects was going on in these groups. So they issued these guidelines that basically said the hosts of these groups, in, in this case, if it's WeChat, we're talking about Tencent, which is the owner, or if it happens on Weibo, uh, the owner's Weibo itself or, or Sina is their parent. Uh, but pretty much all of the, anyhow, the, 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 the platform operators are responsible for, for the content that appears on their platforms or the content that gets spread across their platforms. At the same time, they also said people who form these groups, because most of these groups are formed by usually one person, but then other people can add people to the groups. Uh, but anyhow, the, the sort of the, the founder, the person who initially set up the group is also responsible for what gets said inside. And even people within the groups are, are responsible as well. So basically everybody holds some level of responsibility. And if a legal activity goes on in there, um, you know, you're responsible and you could be held uh, legally accountable. So this is interesting because I'm sure that the powers that be at, at Weixin or, or WeChat and at Weibo, 
know what they're responsible or liable for, and they've been accustomed to this. It's been the case for really quite a long time now. Uh, but this seems to expand responsibility or, or liability to the actual users, the people you know who are posting these messages to these groups. Um, have we seen any practical impact of this announcement, or, or do we expect to see one? And and how are they communicating it to their users? I mean, if, if for example, you had like a smoking ban in restaurants and it came into effect and some guy was smoking in a restaurant after the ban, uh, would that violation be the responsibility of the restaurant or the customer? And if it's shifted to the customer, you know, how would the restaurant communicate that policy to the customer? Well, I think it's very early days, and I think this is just a very quick reaction to this explosion of groups. I think we'll have to... I, one of the reports I saw, which appeared to maybe be coming from WeChat, I wasn't really sure, uh, pointed to a few instances of, of activities that might be suspect. And one was a case of a person who had been arrested or detained for drunk driving, was saying lots of insulting things about the police on in one of these groups. They said that, you know, is, is an example. And then the other one was some people in a group had like circulated some form of online petition and were organizing plans to go march somewhere. I, I didn't really see what the topic was that they were petitioning about, but that that, you know, any, t- any kind of organization like that and, and protest activity like that in China is very sensitive and, and is considered illegal unless you get official permission, which nobody ever gets. So, you know, these are two kinds of, of behavior, two examples of things that might happen. Other stuff they put on there was like pornography or gambling or anything like that. I think probably what will happen later is we'll get maybe some the, – the, the courts will interpret what exactly constitutes illegal behavior and who should be held accountable. The, the platforms have always been, you know, technically responsible at, at some level, but we haven't really seen, they, they, they tend to get, they, they, they're sort of like whipping boys. They, they, their names come up and occasionally they get, get fined or penalized. But in cases like where a rumor circulates and, and someone ultimately gets busted for, you know, circulating a false rumor, they, they very rarely go after the actual platform operators, uh, they seem to go after the individuals. So I'm guessing here, you know, the, the, the platforms will have to sort of watch out for maybe groups that are engaged in suspicious activity uh, or activities that look like they might be doing up to something that's not right. But at the same time, I think it's probably the group organizers and the group members who are going to be, you know, held accountable at the end of the day for for what happens? Uh, so I'm starting to realize that, yeah, previously individuals, yeah, were responsible to some degree, but uh, now it's within these closed groups. So is it what somebody tattling on you from within the group, or is it is it WeChat reporting on you? Yeah, I imagine. I mean, either either could happen. You know, maybe. <laughs> Communist Party will try and plant people, get get people into groups when they suspect somebody or, you know, this isn't going to make anybody feel any more secure about sort of privacy, the security of what gets said in their chat room, because basically the this directive is saying, you know, Tencent has responsibility to monitor everything that gets said in the chat rooms and and take action when illegal activity is happening. Well, that means that basically they're going to be monitoring everything. 
So, you know, it's it's not going to create a lot of confidence for anybody concerned about privacy. You know, but that's the way it is here. Well, we hope that you're careful in your own WeChat activity so that we can uh, count on talking to you again next week, Doug. All right. Thanks a lot, Kaiser. All right. Next up, we have Liu Xiao to talk about what's happening in the world of cryptocurrencies. Lots going on here. Let's talk about the latest, but also lay out some basics, blockchain and, and this acronym ICO or initial coin offering that we've heard a lot of. I mean, there were a whole lot of them this, this year, 60 some odd this year. Uh, Tsai Xin has written about them. Uh, you've been following them and, and we've talked about them before on this show. Uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the term, what is an ICO? Yeah, so it's been an exciting two weeks for cryptocurrencies. Um, I Probably the best place to start is with uh, Bitcoin, since that's the one most of us are fairly familiar with. So Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency. Um, it's based on a technology called blockchain. And what that is, is basically a way to verify that a transaction has happened without a central authority. So for example, I go to the bank, I take out 100 Kwai, the bank has basically confirms that this has happened. But with a blockchain, there's a peer-to-peer network that doesn't involve a central authority, and yet every transaction is able to be confirmed through basically running algorithms. So other than Bitcoin, though, there's, there's actually thousands of these cryptocurrencies. Um, and ICOs are basically a way for some of these currencies to raise money um, through what they call an initial coin offering, uh, as opposed to initial public offering. Um, so the mechanism there is basically, I decide I want, uh, I want to create a new coin. It's going to be based on the blockchain. The only things I have to do is write a white paper. And some companies have basically decided they didn't need to do even this uh, about what the coin is going to be used for uh, and what it entitles the holder to in the future. And then I find a exchange platform to basically list this coin on. Uh, So what has happened uh, this year is that ICOs have just sort of surged in popularity. Usually, uh, investors use other cryptocurrencies, so that's usually Bitcoin. So they use these uh, cryptocurrencies to invest in other cryptocurrencies. So we know that Bitcoin has basically increased threefold since the beginning of the year. And for ICOs, according to a government-backed study, um, have raised 2.6 billion yuan, so almost $400 million in just the first half of the year. And that involved over 100,000 investors, and some of whom are sort of mom-and-pop investors with little knowledge of the blockchain and, uh, and how these cryptocurrencies work. Other than that, they're surging in value and that if you invest in them, you might see sort of an overnight return of, you know, 200% or something. So that 100,000 plus number you cited, is that is that investors just in China? Yeah, just in China. It feels like there's an awful lot happening in this area, especially with respect to this crackdown that everyone's talking about. Uh, so then on September 4th, after basically some rumors um, that there might be um, some tightening on on this way of fundraising, uh, the government basically banned ICOs outright, um, and they became the first country to do so. Uh, so not only did they ban ICOs, um, they also said that anybody that's raised money through ICOs needs to return uh, the money or most likely the cryptocurrency back to 
uh, the investor. So what is this crackdown likely to do uh, in terms of interest in or markets for uh, cryptocurrencies like like Bitcoin? So the price of Bitcoin has basically plunged um, from a high that was, um, this is according to a Chinese Bitcoin exchange, Huobi. Um, so the Saturday, I think, before uh, the legislation came out, it hit an all-time high. It was over 32,000 RMB per Bitcoin. And then it basically plunged 40% um, up until today. So that's over uh, a two-week period. Um, and I think what's scaring people in the market is that maybe it doesn't stop just at ICOs. Um, there's been rumors lately that there's been a ban on Bitcoin exchanges. Um, and we know that yesterday, um, China's second largest Bitcoin exchange, BTC China, um, issued an announcement on its website. And it basically said that sort of they've carefully looked at this piece of legislation on ICOs and they've decided that they're going to halt operations by the end of September and that new registration uh, will be suspended immediately. So. Yeah, so I think the next thing to watch for is uh, is this potential next piece of legislation that will say there's no more Bitcoin exchanges in addition to no more uh, initial coin offerings. Well, Xiao, thanks so much. And as this is a developing story, I suspect we're going to have you back on again soon to talk about it, maybe in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Kaiser. Look forward to speaking soon. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Round of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wufei for the music. Be sure to check out the Seneca Podcast, the current affairs show that I host with Jeremy Goldcorn, and follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.